name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. On the sea angling scene, Black Bream and the Sussex coast are synonymous. When I first started fishing back in the 1960s, the Kingmere rocks were held up as the major Black Bream hotspot in the country. Since then, obviously, things have changed. Like a number of species these days, Black Bream have extended the range northwards, in this case up into Scottish waters, and marks like the Kingmere have become just one of many where Black Bream can now be targeted. All of that said, the Kingmere rocks and Black Bream are once again making the headlines, though unfortunately in 2014, this time for all the wrong reasons. Linking up with me here today is Tim McPherson, who not only fishes for Black Bream off the Sussex coast, but is also heavily involved in the politics of protecting both the species and its habitat at a time when more than any other, these once traditional haunts are coming under extreme pressure. Now I know that you and Black Bream go back a very long way. So to get the debate started, talk us through your own history and that of the King Mere Bream, linking the two together as we build up to the current problem and what needs to be done to resolve it. How did I get into fishing? I started course fishing when I was 11 with some friends at school. We, we were catching roach and gudgeon and bleak on the river called the Pevensey Haven. And I remember getting on my bike, getting all my gear strapped to a crossbar and putting a guy, I don't know how I did it actually. <laughs> I'm sure we all did though, didn't we? Get a creel over the back, off you go with your sandwiches. And I loved it. I, I did it. I didn't have any clue what I was doing. I'd always been interested in wildlife and I was a bird watcher and I loved the country. So spending a day out in the country with my mates, you know, it was great fun. And of course, we did the old thing with the maggots and the hand warmers and had maggot races and did all that stuff. But as I got into my teenage years, as you do, fishing came and went in my life. I did it variously. Mostly coarse fishing. And then I started sea fishing because I lived on the coast here and I really enjoyed that much more actually. Did my first boat trip when I was about 16, I think. Caught a spur dog of about eight pounds, which you don't catch those now. This is 1977, so you don't catch spur dog off the coast here, they're all gone. Well, if you do, it's very rare. And then I went to university and did a lot of fishing in Wales in the... Menai Straits for bass, using crabs and flounders and stuff. It was fantastic, really excellent fishing. And all the while, I'd sort of learnt to trout fish at the same time, so I did a bit of that too. I was doing any type of fishing. And then gradually, this obsession gripped me. In fact, my thesis at university was about fish behaviour. And um, I suppose by the time I was about 21, it was a full-blown obsession. And any opportunity I could <laughs> to go fishing, I would take it. And that's pretty much what it's been like for the rest of my life. I enjoy boats as well. I really enjoy getting out in boats. And I bought a boat with a friend of mine to fish on the Thames, actually, funny enough, when I lived in London. We used to go and fish for pike and um, roach at Teddington Lock in our boat, and that was great fun. Then we trailed it around the place. And then we started going to Cornwall and trailing it down and launching it on the estuaries in Cornwall, particularly at the Camel Estuary and the Foy. used to catch flounders. This is in the early 90s. The flounders on the foy in the November and December. I got very friendly with a local fisherman who used to supply bait. A chap called Reg Wybrow. And uh, he was a tackle dealer as well. Lovely old bloke. And he took me bass fishing on the camel. I'd, I'd never done bass fishing with live bait before. And that was just fantastic. We were drifting up and down the camel estuary with live sand eels. We'd go out on an early tide, shet for them, which is basically 
getting a big purse net and rowing out about 100 yards and then pulling it in by hand. And then we get our sand eels, put them in an aerator, jump in the car with a boat trailed on the back and go up to the north coast of Cornwall. And this was all on holiday, bear in mind. And uh, go and catch bass, and I loved it. So I then, when, when I bought a boat, I went down and did that in my own boat with my boat partner. And we had some fantastic sport catching bass up to about, I don't know, six pounds. The Camel Estuary is a nursery, bass nursery, and they come right up river, along with sea trout and salmon as well, actually. So that's where that went. And once I had a boat, I just carried on fishing in boats, and I've had a dinghy for, well, 25 years now. My current one's a 17-foot Orkney Strike Liner, which I launch off the beach at Bex Hill. So um, that's my story, if you like. I still do a lot of fishing. But angling for you is not only an interest, it's also a way of life, as I know you're heavily involved in all sorts of spin-offs from it. Obviously, bream conservation is right up there, as we'll come to in a moment. But filmmaking and writing are also in the mix too. Well, yes, I mean, I I earned money as a, as a marketing and media consultant, and I worked in publishing for, well, for many years, so I've got a lot of contacts in that area. So I'm a freelance doing that, which is nothing to do with fishing at all. But as I went through the publishing world and also I worked publishing magazines for the television industry, I got into understanding how the technology worked and also understanding about digital marketing and digital content and websites and all that kind of stuff. And so I, it struck me that I could very cheaply, without much investment, create a website for angling, which I've done, which is called Sussex Angling Media. And what that does is just provide information about angling in Sussex. And the reason I did that is because a few years ago I was thinking, where can I go pike fishing? I'm bored of the same place I go pike fishing in the winter. And I couldn't find anywhere that told me about Sussex fishing at all. So there was an opportunity. So I built this website and it's sort of funded from advertising and it ticks itself over nicely. It doesn't cost very much. I've got a network of people all over Sussex who send information pictures to me. And Jim Whippy, who's a, used to edit the uh, Boat Fishing Monthly, I'm sure you know Jim, don't you? Jim was my old boss at Boat Fishing Monthly. I worked with him for years. Oh, of course he was, yes. He writes a column for me every month. I got to know Jim very well. Um, in fact, I got to know him when I started getting interested in making fishing programmes well, about eight years ago. I was watching fishing programmes on television and they seemed to be repeating the same ones over and over and over again. <laughs> at that time, they were good, but they were old. And I thought, well, I could do that. So I got a film crew together, fairly cheaply, a mate of mine, he's got a production company, and I phoned up Jim and said, do you fancy making some videos? So we started and um, we filmed a couple of, three trips actually, and it was quite good. But then <laughs> I had to get them edited, and I, at that point you, you, you can't do what you can do now with editing. In those days, video was on tape, so you had to get it digitised, and that cost money, and then you had to get it edited. And the production guy who I was working with didn't or couldn't do it because <laughs> he couldn't do it for nothing and I couldn't ask him to do it for nothing really it wasn't fair so I kind of we sat on it for a bit until we had enough money to get it edited properly which is what we did and then we we released them and sold a few hundreds of copies of each of these two videos fishing for cod and fishing for place and about three years ago technology's changed as you know and in particular the quality of filming with video with relatively inexpensive technology has improved immeasurably. So under advice from somebody who knows about these things, I bought a high-definition video camera, 
which was a, a tiny little compact thing, and it cost me about £700. And uh, I realised, having I started filming with it and sent some of the footage to a professional, and he was really impressed with it. <laughs> the quality of it, you know, the actual visual quality of it, because it was high definition. And then I taught myself to edit with Adobe Premiere, which you can basically buy very cheaply. And it's very easy to use, and I just went on YouTube, taught myself how to do it. And because of those two things, it, it becomes very easy to make what I think are reasonable quality fishing programs. So I do that as well now. I've, I've shot quite a few varying lengths and qualities. And I produced a video called Black Bream Fishing on the Kingmere last year, which I did with Jim Whippy and the rest of the crew that we went out on the Kingmere with. Now, as I hinted in my introduction, you were also one of that rare breed of sea anglers who's also decided to put yourself forward on behalf of the many, who usually much prefer to let somebody else make all the bullets and take the flak. So what exactly is your connection to the Kingmere Blackbring campaign and motivation behind supporting it? Well, I've always been a bit politically active in all sorts of ways, and, and I can't bear people who moan and don't do anything about it. I just cannot bear it. We've all done our fair share of moaning over the years, haven't we, about various things, <laughs> I'm sure. I think you, if you really have got a problem with something, then get off your ass and do something about it. And so that's what I did. And I've always been interested in marine conservation. I've always been interested in marine ecology. I did a degree in biology, a part of which was, was marine biology. I did a thesis in fish behaviour. So it's always been an interest of mine. And at the same time, I feel I've, I'm reasonably articulate and therefore able to express things succinctly, well, maybe not, but communicate stuff. And I found that uh, I can use my communication skills that I've learned over the years in my professional life to get messages across and get things done. And that's why I did it. And I felt if somebody didn't do something, if people don't get up and do stuff, nothing ever happens, does it? Absolutely. A very good example of that and what can be achieved is the Scottish Sea Angling Conservation Network and hopefully what the Angling Trust in England might ultimately deliver. Yes. You know, I, I'm a great believer in the, what the Angling Trust is trying to do. It gets criticised, I think, really unfairly. So I also want to do my best to promote that part of it as well, what the Angling Trust can positively give to anglers. So those two things combined. And, you know, like a lot of people who get involved in activism, I've got strong opinions, so I like to express them. Can we now look specifically at the matter in hand, the King Mia Bream? Basically, I started working as a volunteer with a number of guys in Sussex for the Angling Trust because I used to work for the Angling Trust when it was launched years ago. And ever since I got involved at that point, I was very committed to the whole idea of it. I thought it was a, an excellent idea. So anyway, I started doing one or two things in Sussex, and one of them was helping to launch something called the Bexhill Sea Angling Festival, which is a very successful event that um, came out of a potential ban on fishing that the Rother District Council wanted to introduce. And I got involved as a member of the angling club. Uh, the fact that I've got my own website for Sussex Angling, called Sussex Angling Media, so I got very involved in that, and I kind of represented the Angling Trust on that committee because they needed help in various ways that the Angling Trust could provide it. As time went on, we started looking at other things, and um, one of the things that we were working on, and I had been involved in on a sort of second-hand basis, was submitting information about marine conservation zones. A friend of mine was on the Sussex Sea Fisheries Committee, and he pushed through a proposal to have a, a, a no-trawl zone from... Beachy Head to Fairlight. It turned out there was a lot of cold water corals and rare geographical features on the bottom of the sea out off of Eastbourne. 
and they gathered a lot of scientific evidence, or the, or the Sussex Seafish Committee scientists did on behalf of the MMO. And at the same time, they were doing this for the Kingmere Reef off of um, Littlehampton. And those two, plus three others, I think, were put forward as marine conservation zones by what was then became the Sussex IFCA. So I kind of got involved from that point of view. Anyway, as time went on, and I started doing more and more stuff for the Angling Trust, we were looking for, um, I guess we were looking for a way of helping the marine conservation effort in Sussex, looking for an issue that was relevant and live, that was different from all the marine conservation issues that anglers are usually interested in. I mean, most anglers seem to concentrate on bass, which is fair enough, but we knew the Hampshire IFCA and the Wessex IFCA were doing a lot of campaigning on that and we didn't want just to copy them in what they were doing so we looked at the Kingmere MPZ and we realized that having looked into bream and bream fishing that actually it was quite a an unusual sport in that there are only a few places in Britain where there's a large concentration of bream there's a breeding site I think off of the Welsh coast I think we've got a couple down in the southwest but the Kingmere was one of the most iconic ones in the channel so we looked at that and decided, when I say looked at it, we kind of looked at all the information that was being published about it. We talked to the local IFCA and various other people, and we realised very quickly that, that the Sussex IFCA, unless we created some kind of noise, were not actually going to do anything to protect black bream at all. Even though this marine conservation zone had been designated, they weren't really concentrating on the bream itself despite the fact that one of the reasons that it was designated was black bream breeding areas. So we thought that if we didn't do something, firstly, we might end up with anglers being restricted in their fishing activities on the Kingmere, and also that the IFCA wouldn't actually do the right thing as we saw it. Now, the reason for that is bream come to breed on the Kingmere, but as you probably know, Phil, they're, they're an unusual fish in that the female fish get to 35 centimetres and then turn into males. The males make nests on the bottom of the sea, and they then display, um, they're very brightly coloured, and female fish come and lay their eggs in their nests. And the males then guard those nests until the young hatch. When the young have hatched and they start aggregating in large numbers, the male fish tend to disappear. Uh, and the young fish remain in the area for two, two and a half years, from fry right up to probably about eight to ten centimetres. We realised looking at that that actually... It's all very well making the Kingmere Reef and the surrounding area a marine conservation zone or a no-trawl zone. But actually, the real damage to the bream stocks has been done elsewhere outside the marine conservation zone. And we felt that because the bream is an iconic fish in Sussex, lots of people come from all over the country to Littlehampton Shore and to fish for black bream. They spend a lot of money on it in charter boats. There's, I think there's 11 charter boats in Littlehampton. And they rely on black bream for their season. And Obviously, all the guest houses and the pubs and the restaurants and even petrol stations rely on this summer bonanza, I suppose, of, of people coming down from all over the place to fish for black bream. Plus, of course, with the Angling 2012 survey being, the results being published recently and showing the economic power sea anglers have in coastal areas, those things matched together. We realised if we didn't do something and get some kind of coherent dialogue and put pressure on the IFCA, to manage black bream stocks properly as a whole rather than just on the Kingmere, then we'd end up possibly with restrictions to sea angling, but also the fish stocks would continue to be damaged over time. That's really why we started the campaign. Where we are now, we've just met with the Sussex IFCA. We've had two or three meetings with, with anglers, both from Shoreham and Littlehampton. 
to discuss what they want to get out of this campaign, how they feel, what kind of things they would be prepared to do in order to, to help preserve black bream stocks. We've come up with a code of, or they've come up with a code of conduct, a voluntary code of conduct, which would require them to be returning female fish that were spawning, only taking five fish in a session, and one or two other things like that, which means that we're actually self-managing, self-regulating, if you like, the recreational angling we do. And also that Sussex IFCA are looking at doing some, they want to do some data collection on black bream, and they're asking anglers to help them. Anglers are very suspicious about this data being used against them. <laughs> so we've had to help them come up with a way of collecting data which the IFCA are not going to be able to use against them. And we're kind of acting almost like a trade union <laughs> for Littlehampton anglers in order to make sure that they are properly represented. For those unfamiliar with the Kingmere, tell us a bit about its geography and why it's so important to the bream. Yeah, the Kingmere is a very unusual chalk ledge, actually, which comes out about six miles off of Littlehampton. It's like a dog leg, actually, of chalk. And because chalk is quite soft, it wears away and creates this sort of silty structure around it, within which bream can sort of create these little depressions with their tails and make nests, because they don't actually nest in the rocks themselves. They nest around the reef. So it's a sort of, it's almost like an L shape that comes out of a chalk rock ledge. And it's very snaggy, obviously. And uh, anglers tend to use sacrificial anchors. And the fishing itself? My personal experience of the Kingmere is quite limited because I come from East Sussex. But since I've been involved in this, I've been talking to anglers in Shoreham and Littlehampton. And also I've been talking to anglers in Hampshire and the Isle of Wight and Wessex about their experiences of black bream. And it, the general consensus is the general size of bream is reducing over time, certainly over the last 10 years. The catches of the bigger ones are much less. You know, if you catch a three-pound fish, then you're doing really quite well. Whereas five years ago, a five-and-a-half-pound fish was regarded as a fantastic fish. Well, it still is, obviously, but you're not going to catch that many five-and-a-half-pounders. In fact, we went out on a trip last year, which we filmed, catching black bream with some fairly expert anglers, people like Jim Whippy, who's a very experienced angler, and Reg Phillips from Shoreham, who fishes the Kingmere all the time. And... We hit lucky, we caught a lot of fish, but the biggest one was only three pounds, 14 ounces, I think, just under four pounds. And we caught quite a few between three and four pounds, but nothing over that. And apparently the skipper of the boat, which is a Shoreham-based boat called She Likes It Too, he said that that was a very good day. It's one of the best days he's had. So that shows you, I mean, the general consensus from other people I've spoken to on the Isle of Wight and in Hampshire and elsewhere is that they too have experienced a dramatic reduction in the size of the male fish. When the bream moved back in off the Sussex coast for the summer, is that where the threat lies? Or is pressure elsewhere, possibly even over the winter months, either the cause or at least a major contributing factor here? This is an interesting one. There's a general consensus, which I don't think is necessarily correct, that they all congregate around the Western approaches of all these bream, and then in the summer they all come north. Whereas actually there is some evidence that what we've got some isolated populations. Like you have cod stocks in Norway and Iceland and North Sea, it looks like it's possible that there's a bream population in the sort of Isle of Wight, West Sussex area. There's a bream population that lives in the West country, and they go offshore onto wrecks, we think particularly the bigger ones in the, in the winter and into deep water. But we don't think that they aggregate in huge shoals like mackerel do. 
one of the things the Sussex IFCA wants to find out is, is what they actually do and how far they travel in the winter. And they want to introduce a tagging programme, which is going to be very difficult to do, in order to try and work this out, you see. So they want to tag fish on the Kingmere, particularly the big males, and then see what happens to them and when, where they get caught. Generally speaking, they will come onto these reefs or their favourite breeding sites in April. The males will turn up first. They will start marking out territories, and that's when they, that, you know, obviously this bright, beautiful colouring they've got, that lovely blue bar on their heads. Presumably that's a display mechanism, and they are then creating a little territory, displaying, fighting off other males. Then the females will start to move in, and they lay their eggs, and then the females move off. So the males stick around on these nesting sites for far longer than the females do. And the females will aggregate off the reefs or, or off whatever breeding site they're on. And as I said earlier, the young fish will hang around in that breeding area for something like two years. Female fish, well, they're all female until they get to 35 centimetres. The whole female breeding stock is basically fish under 35 centimetres, and they don't turn into males until they get to that size. It's called Protogynus hermaphrodites. In other words, they change from females to males. That's basically the life cycle. Again, as I said, we don't know for certain what happens to these shoals, whether they are all shoaling up in one huge lump or whether they're in sort of discrete lumps in different parts of the channel. And my feeling is probably the latter. I have no evidence, (laughs) no particular evidence to back that up, but it seems more logical that way. What, in your view, then, are the consequences for both the species and its habitat by not taking some measure of meaningful action right now? Well, what we need to do is every IFCA around the coast needs to have a proper minimum landing size for black bream to protect the females and the young fish. In areas where they know that black bream are breeding, all inshore trawling should be severely restricted to prevent these fish being caught as bycatch. There is some evidence to suggest that black bream as bycatch are sent off to be turned into fertiliser. And I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, that the evidence isn't there. So a lot of people think that happens. But that's the second thing. We need to restrict inshore trawling to prevent these fish being caught as bycatch as they sort of aggregate. And I mean, it's interesting that I've noticed since the trawling has intensified off the coast of Sussex generally, and particularly between Eastbourne and Fairlight, our population of black bream, which when I started fishing in boats off here about 15 years ago, in my own boats about 15 years ago, we used to catch a lot of reasonably sized bream in the summer. You can't do that anymore. And I think the reason is because they've basically decimated the shoals of small fish by catching them as bycatch. So they need to bring in management measures to prevent that kind of thing happening. How far off is the Kingsmere then? Six miles. So it lets rather awkwardly then on the responsibility borderline of both IFCA and the MMO. Yeah, the IFCA has responsibility out to six miles, and we are putting pressure on them at the moment to introduce a no-trawl... Well, I mean, they say that nobody trawls on the Kingmere at the moment anyway, but I don't believe that. A couple of times I've been out there, I've actually seen trawlers coming across nearby. I mean, it's very difficult to monitor it. But also, um, the bit between the Kingmere and Littlehampton, it's the area between there, the three miles between shoreline and three miles out, that we need to concentrate on trying to prevent trawling in and that is the job of the IFCA and in fact they're quite sympathetic to this and even some of the commercial fishermen I've spoken to on that IFCA particularly the potters and the netters are very very keen to see that happen. For me the big question here has to be what do you fear and suspect the final outcome for the king meal black bream will ultimately be? 
It's difficult to say, but it, we're going to carry on reducing the average size of the fish and the populations of them, and it's going to continue. I mean, my, I've got a pretty hard-line position about trawling anyway. If it was up to me, I would ban all trawling around the British coast within six miles. I think it's a totally destructive way of fishing, and actually, it's not necessary. I think the inshore trammel fleets catch plenty of fish, and they do it sustainably, you know, the static nets people, and I don't really understand why we allow trawling, but particularly inside six miles, because it's so destructive. And you're talking about fairly shallow water. I mean, you're talking about sort of 15, 20 metres, 30 metres at most inside six miles. I mean, you can imagine the damage that heavy towed gear will do. Well, it'll do it anywhere, particularly inshore, where you get a lot more light reaching the bottom and therefore you get much more benthic activity and algae and, and corals and so forth growing, which obviously supports other life. And if the bream were to disappear? Well, if we had no bream fishing on the Kingmere, the economy of Littlehampton, which as every seaside economy is already under pressure, it will be severely damaged. I mean, there's no question about that. And as Neil French said to me, a skipper of the Spirit of Aaron, which is one of the top bream boats, he said, well, the thing is, I will just have to go west. If I don't have any bream fishing at Littlehampton, I will have to, well, either find something else or go take my boat somewhere else. And I mean, the consequences, if you think he's got a boat that takes 10 people, he goes out probably every day, weather permitting, from February to September. It's a lot of people bringing a lot of money into the town. So how do you see the future panning out? Uh, well, I'm an optimist. I believe, <laughs> believe in, you know, if you get off your bum and campaign properly, you'll get results. And I believe recreational sea anglers are slowly beginning to understand how important it is to get together properly and campaign and trust people who campaign to do stuff like we're doing in Sussex. And it's slowly happening. And I think DEFRA definitely understand the power of sea anglers economically and the Minister of State for Fisheries, well, both this one and the previous two who I've... I haven't met the most recent one, but the previous two definitely both understood this. I mean, they told me directly. And this one has stated to the chairman of the Sussex IFCA, I understand entirely the economic importance of sea angling. We get this. An official at DEFRA who advises the Sussex IFCA, she said to us the same thing. So I think there's grounds for optimism. We've got to keep working together through the Angling Trust, I think. That's the best vehicle we've got to put pressure on the the authorities and show them that angling is, is worth more money to this country, culturally as well as financially than commercial fishing. And if we can do that, then I think we'll win this battle. We absolutely have to win it. And while this particular talk has been directed towards one target species in one specific corner of Sussex, the basic principles and tactics carry over well to all species, wherever they might be located around the British coast. So a very big thank you to Tim McPherson for pointing all of this out to us here. And good luck with the future of the Kingmere campaign. campaign.